This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Coming up on Stu Does America, you know the drill by now. The mainstream media makes a dumb point. We refute it using their own words, and the cycle of idiocy continues. Kevin Phillips from Campus Reform talks to us about how the plague that is cancel culture is sweeping through our universities. And Reasons Robbie Suave joins us to tell us why one college's anti-racist presentation was actually completely racist. It'll sort of make sense at some point, I think. I don't know. We'll find out. Uh, Thanks for watching Uh, on YouTube, especially if you uh, didn't notice before, it's completely free. So if you wouldn't mind taking a couple moments to subscribe, like and comment on our videos, even share this show with your friends. Click the bell. It'll give you the notifications when we post new stuff. You're going to love it. Assuming, you know, of course, your friends don't want you as friends anymore and you don't want them as friends anymore. That's kind of what the result is from our little program. And podcast listeners, aren't you a trendy bunch? You know what else is trendy? Rating my show five freaking stars and leaving a sexy review like, it's great, whatever. But you already knew that. Uh, Once again, the people in the nosebleeds, if you're there, can you hear me? Yes, consider a subscription to Blaze TV and head to blazetv.com slash stew. Use the promo code stew because that's how they know you like this stupid show and you'll save 10 bucks. Reason 4,582 that quarantine hasn't been that bad for me. I mean, I like being inside. It's a thousand degrees in Texas this weekend. I can almost see the kids panting for air all the way across the lawn. They were mowing while I was in my air-conditioned man cave. It's tough down here, guys. It is. Stu does America. Let's go on a trip together to a totally alternative universe. You never hear what's happening there unless you tune in to CNN. But you need to know what they are saying because the most popular, most powerful talkers in the country have trained their sights on conservatives. What you are about to hear is simply mind-boggling. Look, whether you like CNN or not, this stuff is offensive and otherworldly. Listen. Let's go on a trip together to a totally alternative universe. You never hear what's happening there unless you tune into right wing talk radio. But you need to know what they are saying, because the most popular, most powerful talkers in the country have trained their sights on Joe Biden. What you are about to hear them say is mind boggling. Look, look, whether you like Biden or not, this stuff is offensive and otherworldly. (laughs) Otherworldly. I mean, the picture of Glenn was uh, pretty great. I will say, uh, Glenn. As far as I could see, not actually mentioned in the segment at all, but they used the picture of him just so you knew he was bad. It's quite the preview there from Brian Stelter. I don't think I could have done it better myself, but I kind of just did. So what are we going to hear in these clips? I hope we have this thoroughly edited because with that buildup, I'm expecting the N-word to fly like a thousand times. This stuff is outrageous, but it does impact the campaign. So listen. The contrast in knowledge of events and issues, mental acuity, the contrast between Trump 
And Biden is striking. It's why they're keeping Biden in the basement. I actually don't believe Joe Biden is working out of his house. I believe he's working out of a nursing home <laughs> or an assisted living home because that's what he needs. The big problem for Joe Biden is that he is falling apart. He is, he's just falling apart. He's not really running for the office. It's the communist that he picks as his number two who will be running America within three months after he is sent to the long, long rest he has worked for all of his life. You know, a blanket over his hips, around-the-clock sweets, around-the-clock care. The man needs the care right now. I pity the man. That's it? Seriously? Those are the hate-filled clips? That they're hiding Biden because he seems slow and the staff is terrified that he'll show it? This isn't some crazy talk radio conspiracy. It's called a campaign strategy. At this point, even the left isn't defending Joe's current state. They will just say that, you know, look, and Trump makes lots of mistakes and gaffes, too. But Trump has done these things for decades. He looks the same as he did 10 or 20 years ago. Biden, to put it gently, does not. First, let's look at the recent history of Biden. Most of the meals I eat, quite frankly, don't have meat. A lot of chicken, fair amount of fish. This is my little sister, Valerie, and I'm Jill's husband. Oh, no, 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 you switched on me. This is my wife. This is my sister. They switched on me. Barack Obama led in the uh, corona, I mean, excuse me, in, 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 in the pandemic that occurred. So, I, uh, you know, I, I, I looked at it anyway. I, anyway, the next president who starts tweeting should, anyway. My time is up. Keep the plan you have. Thank you, Vice President Biden. Senator Sanders, 45 seconds to respond. Poor kids are just as bright and just as talented as white kids. We gotta, it's just, but you gotta, I mean, (laughs) we gotta reassure, look, my, my message. This is the campaign note to the Biden campaign. The first thing I would do is lose the scary music when you're making speeches. That's just me. But here's Biden back in 2008. This is during his camp, uh, campaign and the debates with Sarah Palin. And by the way, a record of change. I will place my record and Barack's record against John McCain's or anyone else in terms of fundamental accomplishments. Wrote the crime bill, put 100,000 cops in the street. Wrote the Violence Against Women Act, which John McCain voted against both of them. Uh, was the, the catalyst to change the circumstance in Bosnia, led by President Clinton, obviously. Look, I understand what it's like to be a single parent. When my wife and daughter died and my two sons were gravely injured, I understand what it's like as a parent to wonder what it's like if your kid's going to make it. I understand what it's like to sit around the kitchen table with a father who says, I got to leave, champ, because there's no jobs here. I got to head down to Wilmington. And when we get enough money, honey, we'll bring you down. I understand what it's like. I'm much better off than almost all Americans now. I get a good salary as United States Senate. I live in a beautiful house. It's my total investment that I have. So I, I am much better off now. But the notion that somehow, because I'm a man, I don't know what it's like to raise two kids alone. I don't know what it's like to have a child you're not sure is going to is going to make it. I understand. I understand as well as with all due respect, the governor or anybody else, what it's like for those people sitting around that kitchen table. And guess what? They're looking for help. They're looking for help. They're not looking for more of the same. I mean, you could see the change. That's not that long ago. First of all, it's odd to hear them bragging about adding police to the street. That's a whole other monologue for another day. It's not just that, you know, Biden gaffes or stumbles. It's that, that it's much, much, much and noticeably worse than it was 
just a few years ago. He looks like he's inching closer and closer to the edge with every speech he gives and just waiting to fall. It's like a mental version of Cleveland from Family Guy in the bathtub. What the hell? No, 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 no! Yet somehow CNN thinks Biden is getting a remarkably rough treatment. If you look at like the 1990s and the way that Rush Limbaugh and others sort of sharpened their teeth on Bill Clinton, this has been the way they've built audiences for three decades now. Yeah, I don't want to claim it's new. I just am arguing that it's getting worse. It's getting more severe. <laughs> no, it's not. It is definitely not more severe. Biden has it easy. You think the conservative media was easier on Hillary Clinton or Barack Obama or Bill Clinton or Al Gore? No way. I've been doing this for a long time now, like 20 freaking years. I have never seen an easier treatment of a Democratic nominee by conservative media. A lot of that is probably because, you know, everyone's thinking about pandemics and race riots. But still, literally the only thing I ever see criticized about Biden is the fact that he's losing it. No one ever hits him on his $4 trillion of new taxes. It's hard to get anyone to care about his corruption in Ukraine and China. I did a whole monologue about how in the middle of Black Lives Matter, the Democrats are running a candidate that eulogized a KKK recruiter. But has that dominated conservative media? Not yet, at least. And this is Trump's biggest challenge right now. No one hates Biden. I'm not saying there aren't a lot of people who would you know, think he's going to be a terrible president. I'm certainly one of those. He would be a terrible president. But there was a visceral political hatred for Hillary and Bill and Gore and Obama. Biden, people just sort of feel bad for the guy. Like, you know, how the poor parents of Bernard felt when watching the documentary Weekend at Bernie's. Sure, some found it funny, but more than that, it's just a sad state of affairs to see a bunch of people carry around a person who's completely out of it just to serve their own purposes. But if you mistakenly think that Biden has lost it upstairs, CNN has got the ultimate argument to shut you down. Look at what Fox News saw on Saturday at Rehoboth Beach, Delaware. This is Joe Biden out there on a vigorous bike ride. Not wearing a helmet, but definitely wearing a mask, by the way. Fox's narrative and ra talk radio's narrative for months has been that Joe Biden is falling apart. You just heard Ben Shapiro say it, falling apart. And there he is riding a bike, out for a bike ride, and Fox of all networks is the one that showed it happen. I have to point out that if you're going to pick a safety measure when riding a bike, the one you pick is the helmet, not the mask. The mask when riding, it, it is, I would say, literally impossible to pick up the coronavirus when you're going four miles an hour like he was just biking. But beyond that, so what if he could ride a bike? Toddlers learn to ride bikes. When conservatives say that he's no longer sharp enough to be president, it isn't a critique of his cardiovascular health. No one is saying that he's incapable of moving his knees up and down in a repetitive fashion. If he was trying to get a job as a Peloton instructor, maybe that video would make a difference. But he wants to run the free world. Think about this. To give credence to Biden's run for the presidency, they show him riding a bike, something that is so basic that it is literally used as the cliched example of something you can never forget. It's something so obvious that Scientific American wrote an article asking the question, why don't we forget how to ride a bike? 
In it, they discuss that even people who have literally had parts of their brains removed can still remember how to do tasks like riding bikes. After that level of willful cognitive dissidence by CNN, they have the nerve to ask this question. When you see um, entire media companies essentially exist to tear down Joe Biden, is there an equivalent to that on the left tearing down Trump? Uh, there, there really isn't. <laughs> really? Are you serious? I mean, it would be one thing to at least acknowledge the obvious. Of course, Trump gets his share of criticism in the media, but that's because he's just, you know, Satan. But to not even acknowledge it, no mention of the fact that every TV news broadcast in America has for five solid years existed purely on the fuel of Trump bashing. Deserved or not? You can think talk radio uh, can compete with that reach, but I got to tell you, it's not true. To be fair, it wasn't just talk radio they were talking about. And if that's all they're getting, you know, to the exclusion of, of kind of the more traditional legacy media, uh, you know, then it, it really is no surprise kind of of what their understanding is uh, of this country and, and of our politics. Such an important point, though, what, what the Trump campaign is doing on Facebook and on uh, these web video series, they have a right wing version of The View. They have these other shows that just constantly reinforce their talking points. It's an even safer space than Fox News uh, that they, they created on for the Trump campaign. A Facebook web series? Seriously? This is what CNN doesn't understand. Let me explain. I will speak slowly. There is a left-wing version of The View. It's called The View. It doesn't air on a campaign's Facebook page. It airs on national network television every day. And every time they have a good moment slamming some Republican, you guys replay it a zillion times. And that's just one of the hundreds of shows from news to late night to pop culture that do nothing but bash Trump 24-7. And if for some reason you can't find enough Trump hatred on the networks, let me give you one more location that is largely turned into a place that does nothing but bash Trump. In discussions among friends and family and debates on social media, people are questioning the president's fitness. But these conversations are happening in newsrooms and TV studios as well. Usually after the microphones are off or after the stories are filed, after the paper's been put to bed, people's concerns and fears and questions come out. Questions that often feel out of bounds, off limits, too hot for TV. Questions like these. Is the president of the United States a racist? Is he suffering from some kind of illness? Is he fit for office? And if he's unfit, then what? This is going to be shocking to CNN. But yes, there are entire media companies that exist essentially just to tear down Donald Trump. I'm never going to be some big Trump cheerleader, but it's impossible to miss. Brian unintentionally describes reality pretty well there. Newsrooms finish up with their jobs where they try to make it look like they're sticking to journalism. And then they gather and talk about whether Trump has some disease that causes some sort of racist dementia. At least conservatives are being honest about the questions they have about Biden and not keeping it secret until they're off the air. Luckily for me, I think everyone in Washington is insane, so I don't have to hide it at all.
It's not just that CNN doesn't agree with Trump. That's every Republican. It's not that they don't like him. That's every Republican, too, unless they're on TV criticizing other Republicans. It's not the bias. It's the obsession. They are obsessed with Donald Trump. And CNN is as guilty of it as anyone. That's not surprising. What's surprising is the incredible lack of self-awareness. I want you to remember something. Everything is racist. Every thought you have is a KKK dream. Everything is racist. White supremacist is the stream. Just remember that rule and you'll be fine. I just love that song. Tulane University is the latest supposedly respectable institution to prove the point that everything is racist. That's just the point we were making when we were doing that little musical masterpiece. We've increasingly seen the campus uh, cancel culture, not just targeting conservatives, but targeting everyone. Robbie Suave is the senior editor at Reason and author of the book Panic Attack, Young Liberals in the Age of Trump. His recent article is another incredible example of the world we live in. Robbie, thanks for coming on the program. Great to be here. So Tulane, uh, they uh, this is a this is a, a standard trope at this point, right? They schedule a talk and the person gets canceled and can't, they can't actually make the talk. This is a totally new like M. Night Shyamalan spin on the story. Yeah, this one is uh, pretty extreme. Uh, when I got this tip, I I, I mean, I, I could believe it, but I couldn't believe it. <laughs> so this uh, this is author. Uh, his name's Edward Ball. He's a National Book Award winner. Uh, he has a new book called Life of a Klansman about discovering that one of his uh, his ancestors, like a great, great, great grandfather or something like that, uh, was a white nationalist, um, deeply racist man. And uh, the book is about him reckoning with his ancestors' past racism. So the point of view of the book is one you would think um, sort of progressive people would welcome, an, an exploration of racism, even from a standpoint that there's some intergenerational culpability, right? Which is something mm -hmm. that, broadly speaking, people on the left uh, I think, uh, think is true. So again, you'd think there'd be no problem him discussing this book. You know, this is a book hailed by the New York Times, by the New Republic, by NPR, et cetera. Um, Tulane students demanded his scheduled talk, a virtual talk, by the way. He wasn't actually going to be on <laughs> campus. They said the virtual talk <laughs> would make them unsafe, contributes to violence. How dare they host this event? Um, and not because they're confused, not because they thought like, oh, this is a book by a Klansman. Mm -hmm. No, they thought it was it was violence for a white person to be talking about this subject at all. I, this is incredible. I, it doesn't even seem possible that it's true. Here's a book that, as you point out, is not it wasn't even a, a small deal. The book was a big deal and it was hailed by seemingly the anti-racist community. Like, here's someone who's fine, like almost like a white fragility, right? Here's someone who's doing it right. The white guy who's doing it the right way, apologizing for the sins of his great, 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 great grandfather. Even that is apparently not enough to even hold a virtual speech. Exactly. And, you know, sometimes, you know, people will say to me, well, Robbie, are you just picking on like a couple crazy students or something like that? You know, a couple anonymous comments on, uh, on the posts online. Um, no, not so, so it wasn't just random people. The student government released a statement that is, I mean, it, you have to read it to be believed, saying and, uh, the event should absolutely be canceled. This is harmful, inappropriate, offensive. 
Uh, and and the, the, the school, Tulane, must apologize as a first step, but apologizing by, in, in no way, shape, or form goes far enough for making up for the harm done. Uh, this, again, a statement from not just any student or any person, but, but the student leadership of the campus. Right. And, and Tulane, by the way, ab- absolutely caved, canceled the talk, indefinitely postponed, what have you. Again, he was going to be in conversation with a Tulane professor who is like a scholar of geography and African-American studies. This was going, you know, this is going, this was going to be a, a woke to the left talk. There's no doubt about it. And even that, even that does not satisfy these kinds of sort of cancel people. This is like a woke burning man and they canceled it. It's, it's tragic. I feel like they lost out on a really fun time. I mean, you, as you point out, here's the quotes are in your story. Tulane canceled a talk by the author of an acclaimed anti-racism book after students said the event was violent. The quote, uh, not only inappropriate, but violent toward the experience of black people in the Tulane community in our country, harmful and offensive, asked for the uh, cancellation and got it. Um, is this real? Like, is it one of those things, Robbie, where are they thinking that they're right on this point or are they is the point of this just to scare the hell out of everybody? I think it doesn't even occur to these people how crazy this sounds. Maybe <laughs> they've never been told no. Maybe right. they've never been put in their place. Maybe no one has, like, dared criticize this because this is I, I mean, if this is a if this can't go on. No event at Tulane could go. I mean, you know, forget about it. Think about like Ben Shapiro coming to speak at campus or something like something actually or or or, you know, like a very far right person, like a really offensive person, the kind of person you used to have to defend. Right. You say, well, you know, even like the 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 Westboro Baptist Church or the KKK or whatever, they still get to speak like the, the kind of speech that the ACLU would go out on a limb to defend. That kind of thing. We're not even debating. Like we're way beyond that. Now we're debating whether people who are like ninety nine point nine percent in 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 agreement with the views of the woke left, whether whether that small difference also disqualifies them. It's fascinating. I I mean I don't know what this would what what this would even accomplish. I mean how how can they schedule anything if something like this can't get through? I keep thinking like how do you follow this all the way to the end of the line? And the only thing I can come up with is complete silence, which might be a win for all of us. Uh, but I, I I really do feel like there's a there's a premise here that exists at university which says we need to be able to challenge ideas. If every single thing that disagrees with you is violence. There is no point in sending anyone to college. Yeah, I don't know what the point of college could possibly be if just if if hearing from 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 experts who have written influential and important books is something you can no longer do because a, a small minority of students on campus will absolutely prevent it and they'll get their way time after time. I mean, the administration is complicit in this in this shutting down. If you look at the post where they announced that they were going to they were going to uh, cancel it or postpone it. You know, a graduate of Tulane objects and says, this is really unfortunate. And then someone responds, well, why don't you cry more about it? And it's actually somebody who works in the admissions department there. Uh, so this is a this is a school official. So, I mean, come on now. Like, it's just crazy. Is any what part percentage of this, Robbie, is just we just have a lot more awareness of all the crazy people in the world where we're covering. You, know, you, you weren't you know, we, we didn't have a media that was capable of covering every small, you know, uh, you know, interaction at a college back in the day. Now we're seeing more of it. A lot of it. Thanks to you for digging this stuff up. But like, uh, is it possible that some of this is just we're seeing it more or is it really as widespread as it feels? 
Uh, it's totally, I mean, it's both. It's certainly uh, more widespread because we are covering it better, right? P people like me, Campus Reform, The College Fix, um, there are reporters for national publications that pay a lot of attention to what's going on in higher education. Also, the internet makes it stick around forever. So now we can, you know, a, a student could have written a really ridiculous, woke, like, op-ed a decade ago, and mm -hmm. no one would have seen it, right. or for their local paper, and now it sticks around. Um, I don't. I also don't think the kinds of people I'm criticizing, the kinds of students I'm criticizing, I don't really think they've even grown in number. They're still like an extreme minority, or you could go to the most far-left liberal arts college and it'll be like 20% of the campus maybe, and it's less everywhere else. So the only metric by which they've, they've grown is in terms of their influence. Mm. People are afraid of them. People are afraid to challenge them. The administration is afraid to stand up to them. So they're just like, no one is telling them you can't do this, or, or if you try to shut the event down, we're gonna have it anyway, or you can't disinvite people. They've only gained in terms of influence because the rest of us are afraid. You know, it's interesting uh, you, you bring that up, the influence thing, because I think that's true. I think a lot of people are just terrified uh, and they just run, they don't bring up these points. How important is a reason.com right now? I mean, the, I feel the same way being at The Blaze, in which it's my job to kind of come up here and tell the truth and not care about where the consequences are. I feel like you're the same way. Like, you've come out and uh, we have you on all the time, and you're always challenging something. You're always doing something that you shouldn't do, that everyone should advise you, Robbie, don't write that article. <laughs> That's nuts. Um, and it's because, like, it's this type of thing that you would probably be punished at at a different place. At Reason, it's accepted because that's the culture there. It's, it's supposed to be challenging, saying the tough thing no matter what. How important are those institutions today? I think they're vitally important, and I'm, I'm so fortunate, just as you say, to work at Reason, a place that values um, independence and searching for actual truth and not just like recycling like what the popular thing is. Um, but you know, the interesting thing is, so often when I write about these incidents or other examples of crazy cancel culture run amok, you know, there are so many people of all ages, of all walks of life, who agree uh, with the perspective I take, who say, this is really awful that they did this to this person. Mm. Uh, you know, even they said something like, you shouldn't lose your job over this. This is nuts. Um, that's not the perspective you often hear from because, because the, the, the cancelers, again, it's a minority position. On social media, it's a minority position, but they're so loud. You don't hear as much. They get drowned out. The, the kind of silent majority of people who are like, this is a little nuts. So I'm trying to speak for those people who are, again, I actually believe are a majority. Like, I, I think my opinion is in the majority or represents the majority. It's just one that you don't hear from as often. Mm. And it distorts the political priorities of even like the Democratic Party, because I think I know there are a lot of like moderate Democrats who you think wouldn't exist because you only hear from like, the 21-year-old from Oberlin who is, you know, trying to get people canceled on Twitter for having worn the wrong Halloween costume 40 years ago. You hear disproportionately from them. They're not actually representative of, uh, of even their own party, is there let alone the rest of the country. Yeah, because I, I think this happens with companies all the time, right? You get the four people on social media who get retweeted a bunch and, you know, they're, they're pulling, you know, products off the shelf. They're firing executives. All these things happen. It doesn't seem like there's a solution because every company wants to avoid that moment, right? They don't want to be, they don't want to have that moment where there's 25,000 retweets on something dumb that they said. So they will just basically cut the heads off of anyone involved in it to avoid the controversy. I, I mean, is it just a market issue? Do we have to stand up and say, look, you know, stop doing this loudly enough and eventually they stop? What, how do we cure this? Yeah, we have to stand up. I, I love to see, it's rare when it happens, but when companies do stand up to this, so Trader Joe's recently 
so they were changing the names of some of their products yeah. that are like you know you know that that are that are to fit in with uh, different uh, uh, cultures or cuisines and but then they came out and said no we're not changing these because anyone pressured that you know some of them aren't as aren't are don't perform as well like it's strictly a business decision we we do not you know we're not altering this because of some new <laughs> cultural pressure to do so which i thought was really great yeah. and then the los angeles times attempted to write an article about how this is really going to upset a lot of people and like they couldn't find enough people to interview for the story who were actually <laughs> bothered by it and most People were like, I just kind of am going to continue to shop at Trader Joe's because I, I like what they have to sell. Yeah. So, uh, so that kind of thing uh, uh, heartens me in these really um, <laughs> sad and insane. <laughs> Robbie Suave, senior editor at Reason.com. It's always important to support organizations like Reason uh, we're talking about uh, today because there's not a lot of voices anymore speaking up for this. Robbie, thanks for coming on the program. My pleasure. Anytime. Thank you so much. All right. Back in a second. One thing the Biden ticket really needs than a VP is a bunch of youth. That's why they're thinking about the 66-year-old Karen Bass. Super young and super wonderful. She's someone you probably haven't heard a lot about uh, until like a week and a half ago. No one knew she existed. But apparently she did exist before that because she's got lots of quotes about communism on the record. Uh, Karen Bass was a featured speaker at the 1993 West Coast Socialist Scholars Conference at the University of California. I mean, who wasn't there? Come on, that's that's unfair. Everybody was at that one. Um, It was... Uh, the theme was socialism and empowerment, which sounds great. Um, they were it was sponsored by the Democratic Socialists of America, uh, and it ran from 1983 till 2004. And you say, well, why did they end it in 2004? Well, of course, they didn't end it. They just renamed it. They renamed it the Left Forum. Also, Bass was a speaker at the 1988 forum sponsored by the Democratic Socialists of America on gang violence. Uh, since emerging as a front runner to jo- join Biden's ticket, she has been. <laughs> Uh, a little bit uh, criticized for past comments praising Cuban uh, communist dictator Fidel Castro and the Church of Scientology. She said she was um, unaware that uh, Cuba didn't like Castro. It's a strange statement. Uh, a lot of stuff's been going on. I mean, Biden's been around forever, so everyone's talked about him uh, at some point. Here's Robin Williams from 2009. We still have comedy, though. We still have great comedy out there. There's always rambling Joe Biden. What the f***? Joe says even people at Tourette's go, no. (laughs) No. What is going on? Joe is like your uncle who's got a new drug and hasn't got the dosage right. (laughs) I'm proud to work with Barack America. He's not a superhero, you idiot. Come here. (laughs) When FDR was on television, there was no TV back then. Come here, Joe. (laughs) Sit down. (laughs) All right, back in a second. So if you think cancel culture is bad in your everyday life, you should see how draconian it is on college campuses. It's, uh, it's been practically two steps away from the gulags, honestly. Cabot Phillips is editor-in-chief at Campus Reform. He's recently published an article uncovering the nasty politics of cancel culture uh, at, on campus. And you've done so much work on campus and such great stuff. But you continue to unearth these stories that cannot be believed. I mean, I'm just looking through these. North Texas, you have an example of a professor. Can you tell the story? I mean, I don't know how well you know these off of memory, but I mean, the guy with the flyer, he just finds it. It's incredible. Yeah, so there was a, a microaggression flyer going around campus, and it, one of them fell on the ground. So the professor picked it up and said, hey, guys, please don't leave your trash lying around, making a joke about the microaggression flyer. He was fired for that joke. 
for referring to a flyer about microaggressions as trash. There was another story, UMass Lowell, this one was my favorite that we've had recently, where favorite is, is you know, maybe not the right word, but the craziest. A dean of nursing there was let go after she said in an email, well, black lives matter, of course, but also everyone's life matters and we need to defend the right to peaceful protest to voice our disagreements. That got her fired, simply saying that black lives matter, but also everyone's life matters. There's a whole litany of stories like that that we have at, at campus reform, where professors are being let go for having even the slightest disagreements with the political left. Any sort of deviance from their path results in being let go. And the ironic thing also is that many of the professors in these stories we cover actually agree with the left. They're, they're not even conservative mm. necessarily, but it's just a slight disagreement with the outrage mob and with the modern day social justice left is enough to get you fired on many college campuses. Yeah, I mean, and you, you talk about this microaggression pamphlet. The things in it, America is a melting pot? Uh, is a microaggression? America is the land of opportunity? These are things that used to be very common and easy to even agree, at least as a platitude from someone on the left. And you could get someone, you, Bill Clinton would absolutely come up to you and say, hey, you know, yeah, of course, America is the land of opportunity. Whether he'd mean it or not is a totally different thing. But at least it used to be something that the left would acknowledge was part of our, our culture. Now it is, it's the opposition. It's, it's as if, um, you know, f- saying that things are, are positive and equal and we have a good future ahead of us is is a crime. Well, I'll give you another example just like that, where something totally harmless ends up being perceived the wrong way and ends up being perceived racist. And you can get fired for expressing those microaggressions at UCLA. Another professor we Mm. covered, his students there demanded that all the black students in class not have to turn their papers in the same time as white students because they were under extra stress with all the George Floyd events and protests going on. <laughs> so the professor, the professor said in an email, I don't even know who my black students are because these are online classes. How would I find that out? And he also said, shouldn't we be living by Martin Luther King's admonition to treat people on their character and their, the content of their character, not the color of their skin? And wouldn't that be more racist for me to treat people differently based on their skin color? He was put on leave without pay for that email, simply telling students, no, I'm not going to give you preferential treatment because of the color of your skin. That was deemed racist. Now he's the he's the white supremacist on campus. No word yet on the university will ever bring him back. But that's just an example of how cancel culture. It's not actually a, a culture. It's not the end goal. It's simply a means of controlling people on campus. Cancel culture is a way where the left can scare people into submission. They can silence them before they even speak. Because if you have any opinion that's mildly controversial, you look around and you see what happens to people that push back. You see the cancel culture that comes down on you. Why would you speak up? You're going you're gonna to stay quiet because you're terrified. And that's what this is. And it's all about power. It's not about actually pushing some kind of social justice narrative. They don't actually care about that. They care about control and they care about power. That's what this is. You guys have been on the cutting edge of this because you're dealing with it in the hotbed. Like you're, you know, to use our coronavirus era here, you're essentially in the Wuhan of cancel culture. We're all kind of just getting some cases sprinkling into our countries out here. You're in the middle of this, and it's more than just threatening people with their jobs. It's more than that. It is a way to silence others, and I, I think it goes back to this 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 idea of social justice. Social justice is not is as good of a term as it sounds. People just assume it's good because it sounds like a positive term, just like Black Lives Matter. When you look at it, when you look under the hood a little bit, you learn something very different. 
And that's exactly what the, the left is very good at. The, the far left is very good at controlling terms and getting people on board with things. So for example, if they say, well, we're all against racism, right? We're all against fascism, right? By any means necessary, we should oppose those things. They get everyone on board with that idea, but then all you have to do is just label everyone a fascist and label everyone a racist mm -hmm. and it justifies the actions they're taking. And I've been on a hundred plus campuses myself. I've seen firsthand the ultimate fear on a college campus is being labeled a racist or a white supremacist or a Nazi. And that's why those terms are thrown around so quickly because that's the ultimate fear. There's no coming back from that in the eyes of many on the left or in the general campus community. People are terrified of that. That's why they don't push back. So for everyone that's saying, where are the adults in the room? Where are the people that are stepping up those people are terrified into submission because they know that the outrage mob, uh, all that matters is the outrage mob saying that they're no longer in line with them. That's good enough. There's no due process. There's no analyzing of facts or anything like that. It's all about who feels the most outraged. Those are the people that are winning right now. And, and sadly, there aren't enough people that are willing to, to push back against the cancel culture trend on campus. And it isn't going to spread to the rest of our culture. Yeah. I mean, isn't this the exact opposite of what we're supposed to want out of college you're gonna when you're going to university you you've you've kind of baked a little bit as you're as you're you're younger your ideas are starting to kind of warm up in the oven you get to uh to college and you're pushed hard you're faced with the real fire of, in, of of intellectual challenge and you're supposed to be thinking about things that you've never thought before challenging your very you know closest held beliefs and that can't happen if no one can say anything. It's like they, they, they've dissolved the whole purpose for college in the first place. And that's the real problem here. And that I always try to remind people when I'm on campuses and, and talking to people is that both sides of the political aisle are hurt when you don't have debate on campus. So conservative students obviously don't benefit on a campus like this that's devoid of any debate or any nuanced conversations because they're not being represented and people aren't getting a fair shakedown. But also liberal students on the left, they're never being exposed to conservative ideas. And so as a result, they are complete infants when it comes to their own ideology. They don't know how to respond to anything that challenges them because they're never presented with those ideas, which leaves them ideologically you know, incapable of defending themselves. That's why they're incapable of debate. That's why they're unable to uh, you know, have intelligent conversations without reverting to name calling because they're so unaccustomed to debate because their campus is so homogenous when it comes to the ideas that are and aren't allowed. And that's why it's a problem that really should concern every American, but sadly it seems like only Amer uh, Americans on the political right and a few, a handful of few in the middle and the left are, are really waking up to this. Mm. You're the perfect guy to ask this question uh, because you've been there, you've talked to these guys all the time. When I look at uh, all these colleges, you, you guys release a bunch of uh, great ones all the time of, of these crazy stories that go on. And I have this sort of mixed uh, feeling, which is one, I just want to laugh at them and just mock them because they're hilarious. On the other hand, I think like society is going down the crapper at an incredible pace. What is the split between, would you say, the sort of real world like uh, ideologues, the, the I, I hate to put AOC in this category because I don't know that she actually has ideas, but like someone who's actually like uh, has that sort of philosophy as a base, as opposed to people who might lean left, but are just terrified and don't want to get in the way of the socialists. Do we have any idea what that split is? Well, I would say it's very few. I, again, I've been to 100 plus campuses. I've filmed, you know, countless videos interviewing students. I've talked to thousands of students firsthand, and I could almost count on one hand how many students are, are not just ideologues, but are really able to have a substantive debate. They really know what they think. The vast majority of students are, are in two camps. Either they are liberals, 
but they're not incredibly informed liberals. They're simply just repeating what is mm -hmm. they're told. They're going along with the path of least resistance. They look around at what happens to anyone that's not liberal, and they say, okay, well, I can't go with that. I'm definitely going to be liberal. And so they, it's kind of just parroting talking points from social media from their professors. And then the other camp are the students that are really politically apathetic, but again, they're just saying, well, I'm going to go along with being liberal because I don't want to get labeled as a racist. I don't want to get assaulted or harassed or I don't want to have my grades threatened. And so that's the, the big breakdown in those two camps. And I, I wonder how many conservative students I've met who are just afraid of letting anyone know that they're conservative and, and they keep it to themselves. And I do have uh, it's quite common for me to be on campus and students to come up and say, look, I can't let anyone know. I don't want my professors <laughs> to find out. I don't want to get canceled. We love what you're doing. And it's unfortunate for those students that on a place that should be a marketplace of ideas, that they're terrified of, of having a, a, an ideal, an idea or a set of beliefs that, uh, you know, that could get them in trouble. Mm. Um, one of the things we've been talking about here over the past few weeks has been uh, this real transition, I think, in the definition of the word racism, where racism used to be, as you described it with Martin Luther King, you know, content of character versus color of skin. That has really changed to. The color of your skin, if it's white, you are a racist. And it's it's this sort of systemic argument, the white fragility argument that has really, really penetrated, um, certainly on campus. I, I every time I listen to these guys talk, I think to myself, within a decade, they're going to be tearing down statues of Martin Luther King, because this is a full out assault on what he believed of, of the idea of a colorblind society. The, that's a microaggression. Now, this is this has changed from the idea of like when when I try to teach my kids about racism, I want them to never think about it. I want them to be someone who just goes in and, and judges a person. If they're a good person, you like them. If not, you don't. That is not the goal anymore. And all of that, the germ of that has started throughout academia. Well, that is the ultimate problem of identity politics, of telling people that you're nothing more than your group identity, you're nothing more than your religion, or your skin color, and you have to think a certain way or you should or shouldn't believe or support certain things. And that's the danger ultimately of identity politics is that it robs people of the idea of the opportunity to be an individual and to be unique and to make your own opinions. And I do think that's part of why there is so much pressure to support certain things on campus. And you hit the nail on the head with the kind of the changing terms. Words matter. Mm. Definitions matter. And, and sadly, the left has kind of created this, this worldview where you can just throw words around, even if they aren't applicable, and make them mean whatever you want. And racism has been the ultimate thing where they, a lot of people don't realize if everything is racist, nothing is racist. And I think it's kind of this boy who cried wolf mentality where it's so hard for the average person to be able to decide what actually is racist. Because there, of course, actually are racists out there. There are racist ideas out there. But when you're constantly told that everything is bigoted, everything is white supremacist, everything is racist, it gets impossible to actually decide what is and what isn't because people become so desensitized to it. And so ironically, I think many on the left are actually doing their social justice cause a, a disservice because they're watering down terms to the point where people no longer believe them, to the point where people uh, you know, aren't, aren't afraid of the term anymore because it's simply so used to describe everything. Mm. Uh, last one here, I got about 30 seconds left. Um, you work for an organization called Campus Reform. Can it be reformed? I, I look at this a lot of times and I think to myself, man, this is just, there's just no way to save this. It absolutely can be reformed. It's got to start with accountability. It's got to start with the next generation uh, understanding what's going on in campus. It's got to take parents 
no longer sending their kids, no longer paying $40,000, $50,000 a year to send their kids to a school that's not actually giving them a balanced education. It's going to take money and market forces playing a role. And it's also going to take students standing up on their campus, no longer staying quiet, no longer prioritizing their social standing in order to just get along and to stay quiet, to not stand up to their professors and their biased administrations. And uh, that's what it's going to take. So we're, we're doing our part of the Leadership Institute's campus reform. We got our work cut out for us. Uh, but I, I'm, I'm a happy warrior. I, I maintain hope that we're going to make a difference. Well, I'm glad you're doing this. We definitely need you uh, doing this work. Uh, the, the story you need to read is, is uh, these professors have been canceled for standing up to the left is a great bunch of stories that will blow your mind. Cabot Phillips, editor-in-chief at Campus Reform. Thanks very much for coming on the program. Appreciate it. All right, back in a second. Conservative nerds unite. I got a new graph I tweeted out from at World of Stew on Twitter. Uh, it's, it's a comparison of New York, Florida, and Texas on the same graph. You need to see this one. Go and follow there. Um, uh, and then I would say uh, go to andrewcuomoisawful.com. But you knew that. You're probably already there. It's probably your homepage if you still have one of those. Get your Andrew Cuomo is awful and Chris Cuomo is worse gear. <laughs> 